From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And liftoff. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, our panel tonight, standing by media scientist Nelson Thal and the publisher-editor of World Affairs Brief, uh, Joel Skousen. Uh, we'll uh, go deep on the deep state and the Seth Rich murder. We keep hammering away uh, at that, our continuing coverage. Uh, plus, this, uh, this week, President Trump, U.S. President Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, and we'll get reaction from uh, author, uh, commentator Dan Perkins on that. Our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? And uh, we are nicely into deer tick season, Lyme disease season, and Dr. Cass Ingram will be here to talk about natural ways uh, to combat this horrible disease, which may be reaching epidemic proportions throughout North America. A second hour, of course, open lines, and then... Uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, along with Victor Vigiani on Dr. Greer's new documentary, Unacknowledged, and his upcoming appearance at the Alien Cosmic Expo later this month. Now, our weekly remote viewing experiment. What's in the box? Uh, to participate, you must tweet me at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Use the hashtag TCS Remote. TCS, as in The Conspiracy Show. Uh, only tweets using the hashtag uh, will be considered, and one astute remote viewer will be rewarded with some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise. And uh, please uh, browse our line of mugs and T-shirts and phone cases uh, online at theconspiracyshow.com. Just go to the online store, theconspiracyshow.com. And again, use the hashtag TCS Remote. Now, focus your attention. Allow the, the shape and the size and the texture and the color of the object in the cigar box to my left to form in your mind. And let me give you the coordinates. Again, the contents of this cigar box sitting on my broadcasting studio here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue, the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There you go. You have the coordinates. We will do the reveal at the bottom of the hour and good luck to you hour. To, uh, to you all. Uh, very quickly, let me say hi to the uh, the boys in the band. Uh, sitting in for Ian Robertson uh, tonight on the Flying V Gibson guitar, my technical producer, young Will Power. And uh, then, as always, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, story producer Albert Vinzel. And finally, on the Hammond B3 organ, the producer of my weekly feature, Ryan White. Ryan, welcome. All right, let's get to it. As you know, we've been uh, hammering away at uh, this for the last several weeks, the murder of DNC information techie Seth Richards, and a possible link uh, to the WikiLeaks dump of thousands of DNC emails before the U.S. presidential election, and WikiLeaks founder uh, Julian Assange has all but admitted that Seth Rich, who was murdered, gunned down in a Washington neighborhood last July, uh, he has uh, all admitted, admitted that Seth Rich is the source of those emails. Uh, the murder has not been solved, and already the uh, the mayor of Washington has publicly stated she considers the murder to be a robbery gone wrong. Uh, despite the fact uh, police have not arrived at that conclusion officially, and uh, the victim, Seth Rich, was found with his wallet, his cell phone, and his watch. 
Now several hospitals in the area, supposedly, are refusing to speak to reporters and independent investigators, and police are refusing to release uh, ballistics, autopsy reports, and uh, they have not interviewed Seth Rich's co-workers, which uh, is highly unusual in a case such as this, uh, nor have they requested to view the security video at a bar which is said to be Seth Rich's last stop before he was gunned down. All, again, very unusual. Uh, What's more, of course, as we have repeatedly stated, the mainstream media has shown a shocking, an extraordinary lack of curiosity in this case, going so far as to shout down a member of the House of Representatives in the United States who, during a CNN interview, suggested there should be a special investigation into the Seth Rich murder. What are they afraid of? Here to discuss is media scientist and the official archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, Nelson Thal. Nelson, good evening, welcome. Yeah, good evening, Rich. Uh, remember, we became spies when the media betrayed the truth. All right, and uh, the publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service, Joel Skousen. Joel, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm just fine. It's great to be with you again, Richard. Uh, very quickly, how do people subscribe to World Affairs Brief? The website is worldaffairsbrief.com, and uh, there's a big red subscribe button on there. But before people do that, I suggest they get a free sample copy of the latest World Affairs Brief by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. All right, Nelson, let me start with you. Here we have a murder uh, which has been described by the mayor before the con- you know before the investigation has barely even started or uh, or concluded certainly the mayor of of Washington uh who is said to be um, you know a fervent supporter of the democratic party she has gone on record she has stated publicly that she's already solved this murder she says it's a murder it's a it's a robbery gone wrong then we have hospitals in the area where there are three possible hospitals Seth Rich was said to be taken to. They are refusing now to talk to investigators other than the police, uh, or they're not talking to reporters. Again, highly unusual. Uh, and then we have the Washington police. They are being sued uh, to release information about ballistics and so forth. Have you ever, ever seen a murder investigation conducted in this way with so much secrecy? Yes, only in major cover-ups like the uh, RFK assassination, the JFK assassination, the MLK assassination. That's where the police suddenly clam up and refuse to do what they normally do in terms of investigative reporting. How about you, Nelson? Yeah, I I think that, um, you know, there's been a new standard modus operandi. We talked about this last week, and we basically said that what came to mind was the whole uh, Eugene Malov situation where they staged a... Uh, they staged a robbery to kill uh, to kill the guy, and he was a professor, you know, cold fusion, etc. And so, this is not a new modus operandi here. What is going on in terms of uh, the mainstream media, where even if you bring up the Seth Rich murder on, for example, CNN, you're shouted down as a conspiracy theorist? I find that very telling, Joel. Don't you? Well, it does. Yeah, the whistleblowers, the whistleblowers like Snowden and Assange. I mean, there's more and more whistleblowers coming out, and they become a threat to the Spider Lady, and got squashed. All right, Joel, have you ever seen a reaction like this to an investigation by the mainstream media? 
Yeah, it's uh, been seen many, many times, and it's always an indication that there's a cover-up going on and collusion with the media. For example, Rod Wheeler, the former Washington, D.C. policeman who was hired as a private investigator by the family, first of all said there is computer evidence that uh, Seth Rich had talked to uh, or was communicating with WikiLeaks. However, he had to retract that when uh, they asked for proof and... He had to admit that the computer is in the hands of the D.C. police, and they have blocked access now. But he got the information from friends in the police force saying, yes, there's conversations on there with WikiLeaks and Seth Rich, but he can't prove it now because the source is within the police department. But he did say this. He said, I have the source in the police department that has looked me straight in the eye and said, Rod, we were told to stand down on this case, and I can't share any information with you. And that's why the cover-up. Now, of course, the biggest cover-up comes from um, a surgeon who operated on uh, uh, on Seth Rich, and he said there were no fatal wounds in this at all. We sewed him up. Uh, you know, we had some bowel resection, et cetera. We left him, um, and we were going to check on in the morning, but there was no light. He says, I've seen much, much worse survived than this. And all of a sudden, there was a shutdown within the hospital, and the police uh, arrived, and no doctors were allowed to attend to them, attend to him until he died. Now that was an uh, an anonymous um, email that was sent out by someone claiming to be. I mean, how how can we corroborate this? Do we, do you believe this story? Because you know, it's at this moment, isn't it just hearsay? This this well, this att- the, the point physician. Is, this guy is, clearly knows what he's talking about. The the language, the code, the medical codes, everything is absolutely correct in the way that he talks about, uh, you know, the abbreviations that he uses. Um, and, you know, the establishment has no, um, let me put it this way, they, they can use these types of things. They can put out true information in a forgery, as they did in the George W. Bush AWOL um, conspiracy when he was uh, in the Air Force Reserve. They put out a forged letter by the commanding officer uh, affirming it. Then they declared it a forgery so that they could discredit the true substance in the forged letter. And they may do this here, but so far no one has come out and uh, and actually been able to uh, you know counter this. I think it's accurate and it does match the modus operandi. I mean, how did he die in the hospital? Uh, you know, without any real uh, life-threatening wounds. Joel Skousen is with us, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Nelson Thal, media scientist. Uh, Nelson, you have a new website. Give us that, please. Uh, McLuhanTactics.com. McLuhanTactics.com. All right. Uh, go ahead, Nelson. I totally agree with Dr. Scales, and I think that uh, it's kind of obvious exactly really what's gone on here. He leaked information on the Democratic Party. He's a whistleblower. Uh, he, he crossed Hillary, and uh, we know that there's a long Hillary death list. So he's on the Hillary death list now. I'm not even. I'm not willing to go there yet. I just okay. There is some interesting. Um, things happening here, but what I find most disturbing is this rush to judgment that it was a, a robbery gone bad from the mayor stating it publicly. Uh, we have a case, for example, where Twitter uh, suspended the Twitter account of uh, WND, World Net Daily, because they tweeted a story about DNC chairman or former chairman Donna Brazil calling the Washington police, wanting to know who is poking around in this investigation. Well, things Rich, like that. What does Snowden say? He's a whistleblower, risked his life. What's he saying? On this, I don't know, but I know what I know that Assange all but admitted 
Well, I mean, if you read between the lines, if you listen to that interview he gave, he all but admitted that Seth Rich was the source of these leaks. However, that's not okay. 100%. Yeah, but that's for me. So, I mean, these guys, this is a whistleblower who, um, it's a danger to get a, and become a whistleblower and have intelligence and become a, a guy who leaks your stool pigeon, they get rid of you. That's exactly what Assange was hinting at. Uh, Joel, yeah. I mean, is it, uh, is it for you a certainty then that, that Seth Rich was the source of the DNC uh, email leaks. Yeah, I think it's a certainty to me. And the reason that they, the establishment is so powerfully bearing down trying to bury this story is this is uh, the whole uh, concoction, which is false intelligence about Russian Trump collusion in the election, uh, is a story they must keep going. And they're bringing in, you know, Jared Kushner into the ring. But, you know, so far, there's nothing except for intelligence operative opinion that what it may mean. There is no factual evidence. This thing has been out now for four or five months. No one has pursued, pr- uh, produced one shred of evidence that can't be hacked, uh, meaning I mean, you can hack and, and recreate the source of any type of email all around the world. You can send it through various different channels. NSA are experts in doing that. But Kim.com, an actual hacker who was involved in the leak, said you know, uh, Seth Rich's uh, Reddit account was shut down and then purged and edited out before it resurfaced. Now, all these things, the media attack against this in the Reddit account, that indicates collusion from a high-level state actor, the deep state. No question. Yeah, Joel, i got to cut it there. We are out of time, sadly. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief. And Nelson Thal, media scientist, McLuhanTactics.com. Thank you, gentlemen, both. Coming up, U.S. President Donald Trump received an incredible amount of blowback from pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. We'll get a reaction from Dan Perkins, author, commentator, right after this. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sallett. Welcome back. Coming up at the bottom of the hour... We will uh, do our big reveal on our uh, weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box. And again, use the hashtag TCSRemote. And uh, you send that to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Use the hashtag TCSRemote. We'll also do our our mailbag. Uh, right now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, U.S. President Donald Trump catching hell from uh, the lib left, the mainstream media, uh, Wall Street, even big oil, uh, for keeping a campaign promise, which was to pull the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord. This is a non-binding agreement signed by about 190 countries uh, that will not require China or India, two of the biggest uh, polluters or two of the biggest carbon dioxide producers, uh, to reduce their emissions and will also at the same time require the United States to transfer billions and billions and billions of dollars to these countries. Well, during the campaign, Trump said, not a good deal for America, not a good deal for U.S. taxpayers or U.S. workers. Here to comment is Dan Perkins, a registered investment advisor with over 40 years of investments experience, investing in all asset classes all over the world. Energy, full disclosure here, energy has been a core investment for Mr. Perkins and his clients for the last 25 years. He's also the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy and the third and final installment of the trilogy, now available. It's called Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Responds. Dan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fine, Richard. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about 
the uh, the Paris Accord for a moment and and what it doesn't do. I mentioned that it doesn't require, and again, it's non-binding, it's a, a volunteer, um, but it, it it doesn't require China or India uh, to reduce emissions, and it requires a huge transfer of wealth from the United States to the East. So. On the face of it, economically, it's a bad deal for the United States. Now, you know, the science we can debate. But talk to me a little bit about, a bit more about, in your mind, why Trump wanted to pull out. You, um, you actually hit it dead on the money. This is all about wealth transfer. The estimate, Richard, is that in order to fund the requirements of the Paris Accord, between now and the year 2100 will be a minimum of $68 trillion. Let me put that in perspective for you, Richard. The global GDP right now is $126 million of all the signers of the Paris Accord. So you're talking about $68 trillion, and and we're supposed to believe that that's a good number with the governments looking out 83 years? I don't think so. So it, when Trump's talking about it, it doesn't make any sense. Let me give you some more statistics that the left is not giving you. Um, study done on the 25 most dirtiest cities in the world from an air quality standpoint and pollution not one city in the United States made the 25. By the same token, the Democrats who are crying foul, Forbes magazine just did a release a study on the 10 dirtiest cities in the United States. Would you find it surprising that the mayor of all 10 cities are all Democrats? Hmm. What are they doing to cleaning up their city? They're not. Well, you mentioned that the, the figure, $78 trillion, this huge transfer of wealth. Think how much you could do, what you could do with $78 trillion. You could provide clean water for every village in Africa and India that doesn't have a, a proper sanitation system. Uh, I mean, they, they, what, what is the payoff here in terms of carbon dioxide? Reduction over that period for 78 trillion. In, let's let's talk about temperature, for example. How much are we going to bring down the temperature for 78 trillion dollars over that period of time? Do we know? The weather. Oh yes, the weather people are uh, who are responsible and NASA who are responsible for calculating what this might be. That by the year 2100, they believe if we spend this. And I think $68 trillion, Richard, is, is, is not even a drop in the bucket because who can project spending 83 years out? Nobody. So, but the scientists are saying that if everything goes right, everybody participates, we will drop the temperature one degrees Fahrenheit. One, one. degree Fahrenheit over that period of time for $78 trillion. Right. I, I think that that's, that's, that's a, that is an outlandishly low number. I mean, if you go to the National Weather Service in the United States and their websites and they talk about weather forecasting, 
they say that anything out beyond 10 days anywhere in the United States is a guess. And we're supposed to believe that the scientists have figured out how to know what's going to happen in 2100 based on what they have today? Well, I, it is they, absolutely ludicrous. As far as I'm concerned, they, they're still trying to figure out how to get the five-day forecast right. So never mind yes, 100 yeah. years. Dan Perkins is with us, registered investment advisor and also the author of the trilogy, The Red or sorry, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, and uh, the latest is um, uh, the Red Nile, uh, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Responds. Um, yes. Again, thinking about that $78 trillion or $68 trillion or whatever it is. Uh, Something greater than $78 trillion in my There's no government in this world. No, no mathematician can predict what a government, government's going to spend 70, 80 years out. It's not, it's not happening. It's just... It's about as accurate as this climate change is. Let me ask you then, why is Wall Street opposed to Trump pulling out? Why is a lot of a lot of big businesses opposed, even big oil? Why are they opposed if this is such a bad idea? Because I've been, I think they have been sold a huge bill of goods. It is it is the the biggest bait and switch game I've ever seen. Because if you just as you pointed earlier out. If you just look at the numbers, it is a wealth transfer scheme. You, you pointed out correctly. Um, this report that I talked about earlier were 15 of the top 20 cities in the world with the worst pollution are in China and India. They don't have to comply. In fact, their language for the CO2 emissions in China is they believe they'll peak peak, Richard, in 2035, but no guarantees. Hmm. So if we don't have anybody on the top 25, and India and China are the biggest polluters in the world today, allowing them to expand their pollution till 2035, uh, and, and, no, and there's no consequences because it's a, quote, non-binding, I mean, Richard, if you think about it, how can you how can you chastise Mr. Trump for pulling out of a non-binding agreement? Because generally, a non-binding agreement doesn't mean it doesn't bind anybody to do anything. And, and then the rhetoric uh, again from from uh, uh, Democrats is that this is going to result in in the death of children. I mean, the budget oh, is yeah. going to the budget is going to kill people. Repealing Obamacare is going to kill children, and pulling out of the Paris Accord, a non-binding agreement, is going to kill children. It's going to put millions of people out of work. The, the 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 economic forecast from from Barack Obama's own government says that the cost the cost. Remember, we're talking really talking about wealth transfer, Richard. The cost for the average household in the United States is a minimum of $4,000 a year. $4,000 a year per household Hmm. to try and get the temperature down one degree. Well, what is uh, disturbing to me... It, it does not uh, on the surface. And again, you know, the economics don't make sense, and and, and we can debate the science. Uh, I happen to believe, you know, that we are in a carbon dioxide starvation diet. We have 400 parts per million in the atmosphere, which is about the lowest uh, it, it has been in the Earth's history. The optimal 
concentration of carbon dioxide for plant growth, you know, the stuff that we need to eat to survive, plants, that stuff, Mm -hmm. is 1,200 parts per million. 1,200. That's what a farmer pumps into his greenhouse to grow his tomato plants. 1,200 parts per Mm -hmm. million. We're at 400 parts. Right. So I have to say the science doesn't make sense to me either, but the economics definitely not. I'm writing, I write for seven different blogs in the United States, and I'm writing a piece right now on the very subject that we're talking about. And um, all the stuff that we've talked about and much more will be in that piece. I just can't tell you which blog it's going to be on. Uh, I try and spread it around as much as I possibly can. But when you think about the, the wealth transfer, that it really it, be, it makes sense as a strategy because there's one other thing. All those people that you talked to me about, the presidents of oil companies and Disney and all these other people who are in favor of the Paris Accord, by and large, not all of them, but a lot of them, are under the influence of political correctness. Hmm. And, and they, will, they will be chastised. They would be chastised. In the article, I have uh, a report by an independent organization that has 32,000 scientist signatures not believing global warming. Now, not believing. Dan, how would you respond to critics who would say, listen, you have a skin in this game. You're, you're an investment advisor. You're heavily uh, invested in the energy game. So, of course, you're going to come out uh, against the Paris Accord. Of course, you're going to come out against anthropogenic or man-made global warming. How do you respond to the critics, Dan? Uh, that's a great question because as an investment advisor with 43 years of experience, numbers is my game. I make evaluation based on numbers. And when I look at the cost, the $68 trillion, and I look at an estimate by the president's own administration of $4,000 a year per household, the numbers don't make sense as a good return on investment to try and bring down the temperature one degree. But they make a lot of sense if you want to transfer wealth from the richer nations to the poorer nations. That's what this is. It's a wealth transfer scheme. I've got an idea how they could use that money in in the United States. And I happen to believe that the, you know, Americans are amongst the most innovative uh, people on the planet. They have proved that uh, forever. Take those billions of dollars, and instead of throwing money down a black hole, like trying to figure out how to sequester carbon dioxide by burying it under the ground, which will cost trillions of dollars and is not necessarily proven to be effective, instead of trying to do that, or instead of trying to cripple agricultural industries and and energy uh, collapse economies around the world, keep those billions of dollars in the United States, and and let's assume for a moment man-made global warming is real. Let's spend those tens and hundreds of billions of dollars to figure out a way to disassociate the carbon dioxide molecule so that what comes out of the tailpipe of an internal combustion engine or what comes out of a coal-fired plant is is just water vapor. I mean, I believe we can do that. Why don't we set that as a goal, like putting man on the moon? Let's figure out how to disassociate the carbon dioxide molecule. But they're not interested in talking about that at the United Nations because that's not the goal. I agree with you. It's about this wealth transfer and control. I can tell you, Richard, uh, on, on I can't give you the name, 
but I know that the technology that you're talking about not only exists, it's been proven in coal-fired plants to eliminate the CO2. Oh, I can give you a name because I know him personally. His name is David Yurth at Novatech Institute in Salt Lake City. <laughs> Dan, right. Is that Thank the guy you. you were thinking of, Dan? Yes. All right. That's one of the people that I know. <laughs> All right. Dan Perkins, again, the uh, the final installment of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile, America Responds, now available at Amazon. Thank you for this, Dan. Thank you, sir, for having me. I enjoyed it. My pleasure. All right. Coming up, the results of our remote viewing experiment, what's in the box, and the big reveal, plus our mailbag. Stay with us. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. All right, welcome back. Uh, coming up a little bit later in this hour, uh, Dr. Cass Ingram uh, will be with us uh, to talk about Lyme disease and uh, some possible natural um, ingredients that you can use to combat what can really be a debilitating disease. Um, May, I believe, is officially uh, uh, Lyme Disease Awareness Month, and now, of course, we're into June. But, you know, you still, you got to take precautions, particularly. You go to a walk in the woods, make sure you're wearing long pants, long sleeves, uh, inspect, inspect yourselves, and, you know, the buddy system. Make sure no ticks, no ticks. Uh, we are going to uh, reveal what's in the box. You know what? I, I made a kind of a boo-boo. I... Uh, a logistical error. I sent Albert out for coffee, and uh, Albert was going to help us with mailbag, uh, our mailbag segment. But anyway, let's uh, maybe he'll be back in time. Maybe he won't. But let's, in the meantime, go to the Twitter feed at Richard Serrett, and uh, over to you, uh, Ryan. And what are people guessing, or not guessing? What are the remote viewing responses as they use the hashtag TCS Remote? What do people think is in the box? Well, a lot of good remote views tonight. Uh, YY thinks it's a fruit, maybe yellow or orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gord thinks it's in a ceramic painted plate. Uh, Daniel sees a shaving razor. Amanda sees a small wooden burn ornament, a bird ornament. Uh, Dar, a rubber ducky. James thinks it's a belt buckle. Uh, John, a jack of spades. Paul, a booklet of some kind. Phil, a ball. And Aaron, an ice cream scooper. All right. Well, uh, w- let's go around the horn here, and uh, let's begin with uh, Albert. What do you? Th- I know I've been keeping you busy, Albert, and you've had, you haven't had time to focus on the the protocols of remote viewing. But I'm going to ask you to channel Ingo Swan here, uh, and Hal put off, and tell me what do you think is in the box? Okay, it's. I hope it's a lucky guess. I get a fidget spinner, round and white and spinning. Yo-yo, maybe a baseball. All right, a fidget spinner. Good guess. You've been um, seeing what's trending on Twitter. And uh, over to the uh, producer of Strange Planet, Ryan White. What do you, what do you think is in the box? Uh, I've been thinking and seeing the beach, so maybe a, a pebble or a, a sandstone or something sedimentary, a seashell. Ah, it's sedimentary, dear Watson. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Will Power over in the other. Uh, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. No, are you waving me off? You don't want to. You don't want a remote view. You want to try? Go. Oh. Get Victor. Oh, Victor. Should we try Victor? Okay. Victor, what's in the box? I think it's a glove of some kind. A glove. A glove of some kind. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is rubber, not a rubber glove, but an eraser, a giant pink eraser. 
There you go. For really big mistakes. <laughs> uh, did anyone come close, Ryan? I, I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. No, it doesn't. No, nothing too close, no. All right. Thank you for all at Playing at Home, and uh, we'll try again next week. Not next week. We're going to suspend it for next week, but the following week we will be back uh, with our remote viewing experiment. What's in the box? All right. Um, over to the mailbag. Now, uh, Albert, do you have time to open that up? I know I yeah. sent you out of the room for coffee. It's okay. I, they're up. Um, we have the first one is from Jed, and he says, I was impressed that your recent guest is connected with Marshall McLuhan. Nelson Thal. He's talking about Nelson. Yes. Correct. I read McLuhan's The Media is the Message 40 years ago when I was a journalism student at Utica College, part of Syracuse University. Utica, yeah. And passed it along to my kids. That's where I developed a healthy skepticism of the media. Fake news is nothing new. Keep up the good work, Jed. All right. Yes, he's referring to uh, our, our panelist uh, earlier this hour, Nelson Thal, who was the um, the official archivist for Marshall McLuhan, probably one of Canada's greatest minds. Here's a little bit of trivia. Did you know that the the media is the message? When it came out, the first edition, and I'd like to know what it's worth if you had a first edition, but the first edition, when it came back from the publisher, there was a misprint on it. It actually said the media is the massage, as in, remember that Monty Python sketch? And now a massage from the Swedish Prime Minister. That's what it said. And McLuhan thought, hey, that's an interesting sort of play on words. So he, he let it go. So there are some first edition copies of that monumental work, the media is the message, floating around that actually say the media is the massage. All right, what's up next? We had something, uh, someone emailed about... Um, Chris- ma- Christopher has sent an email. It says, we are approaching the 100th anniversary of the great Halifax explosion. I have never heard mention of conspiracy surrounding the event. I'm curious if you plan to cover it as we near the 100th anniversary. That's a great question. Um, I'm not aware of any. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's been chronicled. Um, oh, we, well, we've got a, a former school teacher here. Wh- um, who wrote Barometer Rising? That was a Canadian author. Was that oh, um, McClanahan? No. Um, the, guy, the same guy that wrote Two Solitudes. Great Canadian author. I can't remember his name. But Barometer Rising was about the, the Halifax explosion. And it is. This December will be the 100th uh, anniversary. Um, gosh, I could kick myself for not remembering the, uh, uh, the name of the author. But it's a Canadian author, Barometer Rising. It's all about that. Uh, we'll look into that. Yeah, maybe there may be something there, maybe not. All right. And then recently we had a, um, someone who called in during an open line. The Bruce they, Lee? Yeah, they wanted, to do, uh, they wanted us to do a show on what happened to Bruce Lee. Uh, his name, his first name is Henry, and he says, Richard, if you do a little digging, you will find a tape of Chuck Norris speaking about Bruce Lee's death. Uh, Bruce was experimenting with extra pure form of hashish from Kathmandu uh, to use as a pain remedy. Uh, a few days before his death, uh, he uh, told Chuck Norris that their physician told him to stop using it as it will ultimately kill him. Uh, uh, I believe his wife, wife, Linda, kept this quiet, and Bruce uh, continued to use it. And uh, he believes that, uh, you know, a pure-grade form of hashish is uh, what caused, was the cause of death. Interesting. All right. And that was Chuck Norris, martial artist and uh, also a columnist at uh, WND, formerly World Net Daily, who, said, who stated that publicly, and he was friends with Bruce Lee. Interesting. All right. Well, maybe that's uh, case closed. But uh, nonetheless, I think we'll, uh, we'll pursue that and uh, see if we can put together a show on the... uh, Should get Chuck Norris on. (laughs) 
I'm going to put you on that. <laughs> All right, there's your assignment, Albert. All right, when we come back, Dr. Cass Ingram will talk Lyme disease, one of the most dreaded and destructive diseases known. In the U.S. alone, there are likely a half million new cases of the disease caused by deer tick bites annually. Dr. Cass Ingram discusses on the other side, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Get this. Lyme disease, perhaps one of the most dreaded and destructive diseases known in the U.S. alone. There are likely a half million new cases of the disease caused by deer tick bites annually. But in many cases, the victim is entirely unaware of what's happened to them. A person contacts Lyme disease when corkscrew-like bacteria called spirochetes are released from the mouth parts of the biting deer tick and bore into the joints and connective tissues of their human hosts, where they cause significant inflammation and pain as well as tissue damage. And there are a wide range of other germs which may co-infect the tick bite a victim, including organisms which may attack the brain and nervous system, here, with very important information on possible ways to counteract the debilitating effects of Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease, is Dr. Cass Ingram, the author of over 30 books, including The Lyme Disease Cure. He's a popular media personality, has appeared on over 5,000 radio and TV interviews. He's a much sought-after lecturer, and he teaches the public and health professionals about the powers of natural medicine and wild medicinal spices. Dr. Cass Ingram, welcome back once again. How are you, my friend? Great. How you been getting along over there? Well, um, I'm just I'm staying out of the woods. I don't know that my area in particular is kind of a hot zone. Uh, yeah. How do you find out, first of all? You know, if you, you want to go for a nice stroll in the woods, how do you find out whether there's there are known infected deer ticks in your area? Well, sometimes the local uh, agricultural societies that you know uh, governmental agencies will do. Uh, the ethnobotanists and, and so forth, uh, not so much the, the, not the ethnobotanists, but the uh, the people who do the forensic work on insects, they will go and, and do a test to see how many ticks they can pick up in a certain radius. Uh, so you have to talk to government agencies about that, uh, entomologists. So now the other thing is that you can look at the zones pretty easily. Any wooded zone where there are lots of deer in in the southern part of Canada is at high risk, for instance. And you do have quite a bit of cases of Lyme across national in Canada that are underreported. Uh, now, one of the problems Canada, Canadians face, and we'll get in the U.S., is that there's a denial uh, that Lyme is in Canada. I don't think a rat or a bird that carries these ticks or the deer really know anything about the Canadian-U.S. border stock. <laughs> Good point, yes. Uh, so, Do you have anything to declare? <laughs> yeah, they have plenty to declare. Now, there's super hot zones. are going to be Wisconsin, Minnesota, to a degree Michigan, and then, of course, the northeastern seaboard is extremely hot. Uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, uh, certainly uh, New Jersey is terrible, Delaware. You mentioned Connecticut. That's that's where it all began, right, in a community called Lyme, Connecticut. 
Right. You see, uh, you have to ask a serious question why it's so dangerous now to be in the woods or in, in, in your backyard, potentially, in the scrub, uh, leaving or trimming or picking up sticks and so forth or going for a stroll or fishing or hunting. Uh, you have to ask that question because this certainly wasn't the case. Nobody was going around getting bullseye rashes in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even 60s. It was extremely rare. Uh, enter 1970 with Old Lyme and Lyme, Connecticut, those pocket outbreaks in children who lived in wooded areas, right? And they That's developed right. rheumatoid arthritis, bullseye rash, and more. That's the thing. I, I want to get into this because it... it it can be misdiagnosed. It can be, it, it's like the great imposter. Um, it can be, it can appear to be rheumatoid arthritis. It can appear to be Parkinson's. It can, it, right. it can manifest as, as heart disease. Uh, uh, let's, let's talk about how this happens. How can it disguise itself as so many and, and be misdiagnosed so often? Well, there isn't a high uh, clinical awareness. And so this is a, uh, the biggest dilemma is that the physician is not looking for Lyme when a person presents with a sudden illness, a uh, rheumatoid arthritis-like illness, a single joint uh, can, uh, sickness where you can't walk or the knee doesn't work anymore. All of a sudden, you see, all of a sudden your deltoid or shoulder doesn't work. All of a sudden your wrist doesn't work. All of a sudden you have a swollen knee or painful knee. Uh, nor, nor is the physician alert to the fact that MS is is Lyme disease very frequently, maybe 8 out of 10 cases. Nor does the Parkinson's eight out of ten? elicit any uh, clinical acumen from the doctor. Eight out of, you're saying 8 out of, now this is you saying this, 8 out of 10 cases of MS, I'm going to say may, may be Lyme disease. Related. In the continental United States, may is, is being very, very uh, conservative. All right, I'm a conservative Martha guy. Matman, did some brain biopsy analysis. She found 9 out of 10 MS cases have the actual Lyme spirochete in, this, in these decades infecting the brain. And in Parkinson's, 9 out of 10. In Lou Gehrig's, almost 10 out of 10. I know of a very famous football player, Mr. Turner, who recently passed away, and we did a, well, an autopsy was done on him. He had Lou Gehrig's disease. They thought it was from beating his head into others as a football player. He had the most fulminant Lyme infestation in his autopsy brain and spinal cord of any human ever tested. And he's in Alabama, where wow. there's not supposed to be any Lyme. So, uh, so, so if somebody goes with Guillain-Barre, if somebody suddenly is paralyzed, here's how you do it. If a person gets sick from April to November and they used to be healthy, and they develop a paralysis, MS-like symptoms, tremor, single joint arthritis that migrates, extreme exhaustion, sick like they've never been before, Bell's palsy, uh, Lyme can present as paralysis of the face. That's the only symptom in some cases. Is there always that telltale bullseye? No, uh, only one in three. One in three. All right, that's important. We don't mention it much because it's a very obvious sign, and it's, not, it's relatively rare. Uh, so many people get bit. Now, this is a stealth... Including habit. you. Including you. You ended up in a wheelchair. Wheelchair, crutches, screaming at everybody, couldn't stand the pain, couldn't sleep at night. Yeah. You know me, I'm always messing around with the natural, uh, you know, bush and picking and things. And what a disaster when I got Lyme. Oh, my God. That was horrifying.
That's a whole other thing. The well, book is based on that, actually. The Lyme Disease Cure. Dr. Ingram, Dr. Cass Ingram is uh, with us. The Lyme Disease Cure. Okay, so how, when you were struck with this, did you know immediately it was Lyme disease? No, you see, I, I was at the top of my game. I don't think I'd ever felt better. I was in the wilderness for a week. I wasn't taking any supplements or anything. I was just enjoying the air, doing this project in the Wisconsin scrub. The last couple of days, I hadn't seen any ticks. I didn't. I let my guard down. I didn't pull my socks over my pant leg. I did not wear my white, you know, $2 synthetic suit. I didn't put any spray on. And I don't know, about a week later, I thought I was going to die or something. I mean, I, I, if I go back, I, I, I threaded all that through the book, what I went through in those months. I, I, my head felt like it was in one room, my body in another. I kept pressing my fists into my skull to get relief. What could, how, could, how could anybody be this sick? I mean, I'm not a sick person. What's going on? I couldn't sleep. I, then all of a sudden, I started burning up. My chest was burning. Everything burning, burning. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't walk on one side. And all of a sudden, I couldn't put my arm through my shirt. And I couldn't unscrew a jar. And then I started dropping things. I'm a strong guy. I'm dropping stuff. Uh, so finally that burning on my back was so bad after about a week or eight days I spun around in the mirror and I saw the bullseye rash I saw the residue of it there Ah, now if this goes on long enough if you've been infected and you don't seek treatment if it goes on long enough that develops into what they're calling chronic Lyme disease I've heard some that's what I had by that time you see and then I developed neuroborreliosis 40% fatal I knew I was uh, like going to check out or not going to check out and and so I, I, I didn't want to do the antibiotics because then I'd be a chronic cripple to antibiotics and then be full of fungus. And I just rolled the dice. Maybe I could take some natural cures and stall this off. And, and I did that. You see, I started taking stuff. Well, the antibiotics, that's the conventional method of treating it, right? That's right. But the problem is what I've been told and what I've heard from doing programs like this on Lyme disease over the years is that in order to knock out chronic Lyme disease with antibiotics you That's have tough. to you have to go well beyond the the the, the antibiotic protocol I know. because you're only supposed to use antibiotics for a certain period of right, time only one week or two weeks this we're talking about two three years of antibiotics for chronic Lyme okay so how did you knock it out then well I, I mean I've written the book the cures in the cupboard and I talk about the germicide the the wild oregano oil you know and I, I know the P73 oregano oil is you and I take it, and we know it's edible. We know it's safe. It doesn't hurt anybody. So I thought, well, let me go to all reliable. It's a germicide. And I had tested it at a lab, and it killed the spirochete years ago. So so then now I'm taking it. I'm, I'm taking I mean, I, I don't know, 40 drops four times a day. I'm, I'm drinking some juice of oregano, eating the Oregamax. I'm taking these. That's what I had in my house. Oh, I had high hopes in two or three days I'd be cured. I had had tick bites in the past, and I used the oregano oil and the juice to cure it in two or three days. In a week, I didn't feel any different. I'm still miserable. Well, what's going on? For three months, it was like that. I just kind of kept it at bay, and I didn't get any better, really. Maybe 5% better. I'm still sick. can't sleep. You're still in a wheelchair at this point. No, I wasn't... This came, I'll tell you how it works. So, I, I was, so, I'm, I'm about ready to die from this neuroborreliosis in my brain and spinal cord, so I said, you know, I've had it with this, I'm sick of it. I'm gonna do something crazy. 
So I took a whole bottle of super strength oil of oregano. I don't recommend this with the off brands, and there's many of those, but with the P73, you could do it. If you have lime, you could do it. What I did, I took a whole bottle, 850 drops, dumped it in a glass of water, then I took these gel caps, dumped them in a jar. I took 120 gel caps of the oil of oregano. I took 50 gel caps of the oregarest. I dumped it in a jar, and I started... I drank that whole bottle of oregano oil all at once. Oh my through the whole day, I took a, about 200 capsules. I did it for a week. In a week's time, I saved my life. Not two years, one week. But now I'm feeling better. I'm in good shape. And I'm not, you know, going to have any more lime. Well, 90 days later. I didn't feel 100%. See, that's a, it's a bugger, that lime, huh? It comes around and bites you again. Well, I could have got bit again, or I didn't clean it completely because it popped out in my joints. Oh, it's I didn't have the rest of the symptoms. All of a sudden, it pops out in my joint. Just about out of time, Cass. So how, how did you finally lick it? Well, I just went back on the protocol and pounded it into oblivion. All right, you got to be persistent. That's yeah, how you lick the tip. on my website. CassIngram.com. What are you supporting Amazon? Support the little guy, www.CassIngram.com, and then find out about the oregano juice, oil of oregano, oregares, big part of the protocol for Lyme. I'm helping people all over the country with my stuff. The Lyme Disease Cure, Dr. Cass Ingram. Give us the website again, Cass. Well, I'm not going to give you the website to Plum Island, where it probably started. I'll give you my <laughs> website. Thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you. That's a whole other story. CassIngram.com, CassIngram.com, 1-800- Two four three fifty two forty two. Learn more. Get well if you're suffering with this thing. Get rid of it. The Lyme disease cures. Uh, Lyme disease cure. Thanks, uh, Cass. Always a pleasure. Yeah. DrCassIngram.com. Open lines on the other side. Your opportunity to uh, have at me. Say anything. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. These are the numbers to call. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free from just about anywhere. Eight six six seven forty. 4740.